0: Welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little, and I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City. Just want to thank you for joining us. Today, lead pastor Jeff Kincaid began a new series in an often neglected book of the Bible, Habakkuk. The subtitle is Trusting God in Turbulent Times.
1: Philosophers during the Enlightenment placed a great deal of faith in the power and the ability of human reason. They argued, among other things, that human reason, not supernatural revelation, like the Bible, should be the source, human reason should be the source of authority over life, morality, and our understanding of the world. Now, many very good things came out of that period during the Enlightenment. But what the Enlightenment got wrong, and that we still get wrong today, was and is an overconfidence in human reason. A writer for The New Yorker by the name of Elizabeth Colbert wrote an article earlier this year about the limits of human reason. Really fascinating that this comes out of The New Yorker. She tells about a number of studies conducted at Stanford University in the late 70s testing human reasoning. After the studies were done, researchers concluded that even after the evidence for a person's beliefs has been totally refuted, that person will fail to make appropriate revisions in those beliefs. Now, I want you to listen to what the article's author says about that. She says, The Stanford studies became famous. Coming from a group of academics in the 1970s, the contention that people can't think straight was shocking. She says, It isn't any longer. Thousands Of subsequent experiments have confirmed and elaborated on this finding. As anyone who's followed the research or even occasionally picked up a copy of Psychology Today knows, any graduate student with a clipboard can demonstrate that reasonable seeming people are often completely irrational. The philosophers of the Enlightenment placed, as I said, way too much confidence in human reason. As a way of understanding life. But I want you to understand that the philosophy of the Enlightenment is still very much alive today in our culture, and not just in our culture at large, but even in a church like ours in which we claim to believe that the Bible, not human reason, the Bible is the authority over life, morality, and how we understand the world in which we live. The philosophy of the Enlightenment, the overconfidence in human reason, is still prevalent here in our church today. For instance, let me ask you something. What happens to you when God does or doesn't act in a situation in the way that you reason that you think he should? When you're confronted with the injustices of the world on the news, do you ever find yourself in a crisis of faith? Why is God allowing this? Do you ever think that to yourself? When the good die young while doing good, do you ever question the goodness, the wisdom, the existence of God? When the cheating New England Patriots win their fifth Super Bowl, don't you wonder if there's a God in the universe, seriously? How are we to respond to real-life circumstances in which God doesn't do what we think he should do, when he doesn't act or respond in a manner that seems obvious any loving God would? We're doing baptisms after this service. About 10 years ago, a pastor in Waco, Texas, was doing a baptism. He stepped into a baptistry to baptize a woman in his church. And as he did, he reached out to straighten a microphone. And he was electrocuted and died in front of 800 people in his church, including his wife and children. Now, of all times, Wasn't that one in which God could have intervened and done something? The pastor baptizing someone, isn't that a a moment that God could have just suspended the laws, uh, uh, the principles of of, uh, electricity, And, and couldn't he have just saved that young man? He was a young pastor. If you were there that day when that happened, how would you have felt about the goodness of God? There are these times in our lives when God doesn't respond in the manner that it seems obvious to us that He should. In, in those moments, human reason often dictates our response. And we often find ourselves then in a crisis of faith. Is there a better way? Does faith in Christ make any difference? In these moments, how are we to respond to those times in our lives when God doesn't do what seems obvious that He should do? Well, that's precisely why the book of Habakkuk is in the Bible. I bet most of you have never been in a study on the book of Habakkuk. That's where we're going to be for a few weeks. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, maybe it's an old-school copy of the Bible like this one, or maybe it's a digital copy of the Bible, Uh, I'd like for you to turn to Habakkuk. It's back in the Old Testament. Turn to chapter 1. If you don't know where it is in your Bible, look it up in the table of contents. That's perfectly fine. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is one of the, what are called, uh, the 12 minor prophets. Now, they're not minor because they're uh, not as important as the others. They're called minor prophets because they're much shorter than the major prophets. Habakkuk, for instance, is only three chapters long. By the way, uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online this morning or who are listening to us through our app, even those of you who attend another church in Evansville. But frankly, I would ask, if you need to listen to City Church sermons, why are you still in your church? I'm not trying to be mean about that or anything. It's just an honest question. Don't you agree? Anyway, back to Habakkuk. (laughs) So that was just a little commercial, uh, right there. I just took a break for a commercial there. So little is known about Habakkuk that we aren't even sure how to pronounce his name. Habakkuk is an Akkadian loan word, and you'll hear people pronounce it. Uh, some people will pronounce it uh, uh, Habakkuk, and then some people will pronounce it Habakkuk. Uh, either could be wrong. Either could be right. We really don't know. I've chosen. You got to make a choice. So I've chosen to pronounce it Habakkuk. What we do know is that Habakkuk lived in a very dark period for the nation of Israel, likely after the rule of a king by the name of Josiah. King Josiah was a good king. He instituted many religious reforms to the nation. But when he died, his descendants, his kids, were disastrous as kings. So there was very little observance of the Mosaic law that God had given to Israel during this period of time. And God's response to the evil in Israel made no sense whatsoever to Habakkuk. Let's read from verse 1. I think you'll see what I mean. Verse 1, the oracle or the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, conflict, abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And you see it, right? Like it's not really hard to, to, to get here. Wherever Habakkuk looks, things are terrible. And in fact, I, I will tell you something. I don't mean to sound negative. I, I hope I don't sound like a Debbie Downer, but it sounds... This sounds reminiscent of our own country. Conflict abounds. Listen, I don't care what your politics are, but it's gotten extremely difficult to read the paper or watch the news because of the constant strife between the president and the media. And both of them are wrong. There's racial conflict in America. There's terrorism, threats of terrorism, violence. I could go on, of course. But all of this bothers Habakkuk, so much so that he, that he goes to the Lord and he asks him very directly about it. He's frustrated. Why in the world aren't you doing anything about this? I, I come to you, I pray, I tell you about this, and you do nothing. And isn't that, isn't that frustrating? Like when you pr- Have you ever had that happen where you pray something that you, know, you feel so urgent about, so passionate about, and nothing happens? Like, I mean, I would rather have a distinct no sometimes and just just know that God isn't going to answer this prayer rather than praying and nothing happening. That is incredibly frustrating. God answers Habakkuk's prayer in verse 5. Like, he didn't answer it for a long time, and that frustrated Habakkuk. But now he's going to answer him. And his answer only increases Habakkuk's bewilderment. Verse 5. Look at the nations, God says, and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Skip down to verse 11. The intervening verses really just elaborate on the ruthlessness of the Babylonians. Verse 11, God concludes by saying, then they sweep past like the wind and they go on guilty men, the Babylonians, whose own strength is their God. You might underline that phrase. We're not going to talk about it so much today, but we will next week. That's going to become very important. This idea that the Babylonians were guilty men whose own strength was their God. Now, it would be very hard to describe to you just how shattered Habakkuk's theological categories are by God's answer. Like, like everything that he thought he knew about God, who God is, how God works, it's all shattered here. You probably picked it up, but what God is saying in these verses is that he is going to deal with Israel's evil, the evil in and among the people of Israel. He's going to deal with their evil by raising up the most treacherous, bloodthirsty, ruthless people the world at that time had ever known, the Babylonians. Just wait, Habakkuk, God says. I'm sending more evil and more violence and more injustice to solve Israel's evil and injustice. Is that confusing to you? Make any sense? Watch what Habakkuk says in verse 12. Again, I'm just going to read a couple of these verses. He says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrong." Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? That's the Babylonians. Why are you silent while the wicked, the Babylonians, swallow up those more righteous, the Jewish people, than themselves? In other words, what he's saying is, that's your answer? More evil to combat evil? That's, that's that's what Habakkuk is saying here. This, this makes no sense, God, Habakkuk is saying. He's so bewildered, in fact, that he even says something stronger. He's almost saying here, are you nuts? You, a holy God, are going to combat evil with evil? In fact, he even goes a step further. That phrase when he says, oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting, really, Closer, um, a a better way of translating that is that he's almost saying, I thought you were infinite. I thought you were holy. But you're not. That's almost, I mean, he's not saying, he's almost saying that. That's how far he presses this. It's pretty bold, huh? It's pretty, pretty bold talking, the way that he talks to God is very bold. Now, here's what's interesting. Even in the midst of Habakkuk's bewilderment, I think there there are three things that God would want you to see this morning. If you're in a place this morning where something has happened that you don't understand why God has done or hasn't done something, I think there are three things that God would want you to see this morning. Has something terrible happened in your world that you just can't understand why God wouldn't have intervened? Maybe it happened to somebody else. Maybe it happened to you. Did he not answer a prayer that seems obvious to you as a good idea? Whatever your situation, God is speaking directly to you this morning through Habakkuk about how to handle the confusion, the disillusionment, the bewilderment that you feel when God doesn't respond in the way that you think you should. And here's the first principle that I want you to see. And I think this is really important. Accept the limitations of human reason. That's very humbling. Accept the limitations of human reason. Act contrary, essentially, to the philosophies of the enlightenment as it relates to human reason. In fact, God says as much to Habakkuk, doesn't he, in verse 5 when he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, be careful because we use that phrase, uh, you wouldn't believe it. We use that phrase a lot, right? But we don't mean it in the way that God uses it here. Like you go up to someone and you say, you're not going to believe the deal that I got on this car. And you don't really mean that they won't believe it. You mean that they're going to be blown away by it. But you don't think that they're going to call you a liar. But God does mean what he says here. Habakkuk, if I would have told you about this sooner, you literally wouldn't have believed it. It would have been way above your pay grade. Your ability to make sense of it, to reason it out, you couldn't have done it. It made no sense to you. And in fact, Habakkuk doesn't believe it, does he? And he is, I mean, he's completely bewildered that God hasn't acted in the way that he thought he should act. Many years ago, uh, when I was a very young, uh, freshly minted, very idealistic seminary graduate, I was working uh, one day uh, at the church that I was on staff at at the time, and I saw a young man that I didn't recognize wandering around our church campus. It was through the week. So he was just wandering around our church campus. And I reached out to him, and I, and I started to try to build a relationship with this young man. I, I, I kind of recognized that he didn't go to our church. I learned, as I did, that he was homeless. And so I tried to help him. I gave him money for food. Gave him, gave him a Bible. Shared the gospel with him. Invited him to come to our church, which he did a few times. And in doing so, when he came to our church, he became very familiar with our church campus and the times of our services and, and our routines. One Sunday morning, while one of our services was going on, everybody was in the worship center for the most part, kids in the children's program. He found a teenage girl sitting alone in, his, in, in her uh, family's van in the parking lot. She, didn't, she hadn't wanted to go into church until the student program started the next hour. The van was unlocked. He climbed in the van, and he raped her in the back of the van on a Sunday morning. When I learned about what had happened, I felt uh, sick, of course. Sick for the girl. Sick for reaching out to him. And it became a a crisis of faith for me, of sorts, I, I... You know, I felt like I'd done what God commands me to do, to reach out to the weak and to the despised and to the poor, and and a teenage girl gets raped because of it. I was so angry with God, and I I wondered, look, even if you exist, what good are you if you're not going to intervene in circumstances like that at the very least? It's Sunday morning in the church parking lot. I reached out to this guy because this is what your Bible tells me to do. And a little girl gets raped because of it. This makes no sense to me at all. And I, and I have to tell you, it still makes no sense to me today. I, I don't get it. It makes me sick even today to, to, to talk about it. It makes me sick to just talk about it even. Maybe you felt that way about something. I, I don't know. If you think about it, what you can hear in, in my line of thinking, I think you hear it in Habakkuk's line of thinking as well, is that if this doesn't make sense to me, it can't possibly make any sense. See, that, that's the enlightenment working. That's human reason as the authority over life. If this doesn't make any sense to me, it can't possibly make any sense. And you see, I think this is what happens to most of us in these circumstances. Like we've been conditioned by our culture, by the philosophy of the enlightenment that is so real uh, here in our culture even today. We've been conditioned by, by that to have so much confidence in our own reason that when God doesn't do what we think he should do, we lose faith. We have a crisis of faith. We get angry. Sometimes we even reject him outri- outright. I can't possibly believe in a God that allows that to happen. Maybe that's happened to some of you. This is, see, and this is what God is warning Habakkuk about. When he says, what I'm doing, is it going to make sense to you, Habakkuk? Now, as it relates to Habakkuk, we have an advantage today over him in that We know the history of the Jewish people, don't we? So listen to this, because this is really fascinating. Babylon did indeed conquer Israel just as God had said that they would, and they carried them away into exile. In other words, they took most of the people who lived uh, in the land, and they they took them, moved them to uh, someplace in Babylon in the empire, and the Jewish people scattered out among the empire. Now, had the Jewish people not been taken off into exile, they wouldn't have been able to build synagogues all through the Babylonian Empire. In every major ancient city in the world at that time, they built synagogues. And so you had Jewish people and Gentile people who began to study and be interested in uh, the God of Israel. Now, eventually, the Babylonian Empire was conquered A few other empires came and went. And by the time the New Testament opens, the Roman Empire is in power. And because the Roman Empire is in power, by that time, you could travel on roads that had been built almost anywhere throughout the empire. And you could do it safely because Rome had brought peace to the entire empire through what they called the the Pax Romana, uh, Romana, the the idea of, of peace through strength. And so there was, there was peace throughout the empire. Rome was just too big and powerful and intimidating to battle or to cross, and so people just didn't do it. It was pretty peaceful at that point in time. So, so because of the roads and because of the peace, guess what? The gospel of Jesus Christ was able to spread throughout the Roman Empire. And we know from the book of Acts in the New Testament that the most receptive people to the gospel weren't the Jews, but the Gentiles who were part of all of those synagogue communities that had begun during the Babylonian exile. And through them, Christianity spread rapidly throughout the world. Habakkuk couldn't possibly... Have seen all that. He couldn't possibly have reasoned through all that. Why? Well, because his his perspective, his his reason is, is limited. I mean, he couldn't possibly know all these things. But God is not limited. Just because this didn't make sense to Habakkuk didn't mean it couldn't make sense. See, I can't tell you why God allowed what happened to you or someone else to happen why he didn't make something happen to you or someone else that you thought he should have. I I can't tell you why he allowed that little girl to be raped in the church parking lot. I can't tell you. I don't have any idea. I can only say this, that just because it doesn't make sense to you or me doesn't mean it can't make sense at all. You see, you have to accept the limitations of human reason. Whatever it is that you're facing today, whatever it is that you're going through or someone you love is going through and God isn't doing what you want him to do, you have to accept the limitations of human reason and trust in God. And there's peace in that. It takes enormous humility, but there's peace in that. That's number one. Here's the second. second thing that God wants uh, you to see in this passage, and it's very easy, seek truth. Seek, Seek truth. Do you notice what Habakkuk doesn't do in this? He doesn't stop praying. He doesn't walk away from God. He doesn't reject God. He doesn't write on Facebook that he no longer believes in God. He doesn't start blogging about all of the things that that have happened and that this is the reason he can't believe in God. Yes, he's confused. Yes, he's bewildered. He's even angry, I think. But through it all, he keeps praying very honestly seeking truth rather than stopping at the outer edges of his reason. And I want to challenge you this morning that if something has happened that has shaken your faith in God, if you find yourself in a crisis of faith, or maybe something has happened that caused you to reject God outright and you're just here on the arm of someone else this morning just to satisfy them, I want to challenge you to seek truth Listen, I meet a lot of people, maybe you do too, I meet a lot of people who've made enormous decisions about God's existence, about God's character, uh, about His reliability, His goodness, without ever reading the Bible, without ever seeking truth. A pastor and an author by the name of uh, Tim Keller once wrote this, if there is absolute truth and we don't care to discover it, it would be like driving with our eyes closed. And I see a lot of people do that. Some of you might have come from backgrounds in which you were taught never to ask hard questions like Habakkuk is asking about God. A friend of mine, once, a friend of mine told me once that she was scolded by a priest for asking some difficult questions about God. Or maybe you've been taught that you can never get angry at God, that you can never speak to God in the candid and challenging way that Habakkuk is speaking to God here. But I just want you to notice something. I want you to hear this. Just the fact that this prayer and many others like it are present in the Scriptures is proof that God understands how people speak when we're at the limits of our reason. He gets it. He understands it. He understands how bewildered you are. And he understands how desperate we get and how how we talk and and how bewildered and upset and, and even angry we get in those moments. And you need to know that Christianity can handle your intellectual scrutiny. Faith is not opposed to reason. Sometimes it's opposed to your feelings. Sometimes it's opposed to how things may appear to you. But it's not opposed to reason. God can handle all of your scrutiny, all of your emotions, including your anger. But what you need more than anything right now is not just your own human reason. You need truth. And many years ago, there was this—he's uh, a, a pastor in England. He, he, he was, his name was Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones. He wasn't a, a, a he didn't have a doctorate of theology. His actual. He was actually a medical doctor who became a pastor. And he once said this. He said, Much of your unhappiness in life is because you spend too much time listening to yourself and not enough time talking to yourself. I want to read that again. Much of your unhappiness in life is because you spend too much time listening to yourself and not enough time talking to yourself. What does he mean? what What he means is, you don't talk truth to yourself enough. You have to do this. We don't speak truth to ourselves enough. We listen to our own flawed and limited reasoning. Maybe we listen to other people whose voices that, that, that we hear in our minds many years later. And we listen to those voices more than we speak truth to ourselves. You need to seek truth, and not only do you need to seek truth, you need to speak truth to yourself. Let me ask you something. This is the only book in the world that claims to be alive. This book has been uh, handed down over uh, hundreds, uh, even thousands of years. Philosophers, some of the wisest people in the world, People from every walk of life throughout history have had access to this book and have read it. The Bible even says that angels long to look into the things that are disclosed in this book. It claims that it is absolute truth. Why in the world don't you care enough to seek it out? Here it is. These are the answers to all of your questions about why life is the way it is. And many of us don't care. We don't care enough to seek it out. We're more interested in who the bachelorette is going to choose to give the rose to or whatever she gives. I, don't, I can't even watch it. I don't even know what she does. But we're we're too interested in who's going to win the voice. And i that, that's a fine show. I'm not upset about that. I'm just, I don't, why would we not be interested in this? Most of your unhappiness is because you're listening to yourself, the news media, somebody else tell you about life, and you're not talking truth enough to yourself. If you did, it would change you. Okay. Okay. Last thing, when God doesn't come through or act in the way that you think he should, when you're bewildered by God's actions or his lack of actions, here's here's the last thing. Expect, expect light to come out of the darkness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, okay, you do not want to miss this. Listen to this. This is fascinating. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul stands up and he preaches in one of the synagogues that I told you about that was built as a result of the Babylonian exile. This is cool. Let's listen. This is worth the price of admission today. I promise you. What would you pay? You paid nothing. So this is worth nothing. No, I'm kidding you. This This is great. This is valuable. He's preaching the gospel to Jewish people in these synagogues and eager Gentiles. And here's what he says, and I want you to see if you recognize anything here. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Wait a minute. This isn't what I want to call your attention to, but I just want to note this. What did he just say? Through him, everyone who believes and cleans up his life is set free from every sin. Is that what he said? And is that what he said? No. Through him... Everyone who believes and gets baptized is set free from every sin. Is that what he said? No, no. You get baptized because you're demonstrating that you've already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, he, gets, uh, he says that through him, everyone who believes and stops drinking is set free from every sin. Does he say that? No. Through, every, through him, everyone who believes. That's it. is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care of what the prophets the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. You recognize anything there? Do you, re- do you recognize anything? Did it help that I bolded it for you so that you could recognize it? Did that help some? He's quoting verse 5 of this very passage. And what Paul is saying is that when God said this to Habakkuk, that God had more in mind than just the Babylonians. Ultimately, God was speaking of Jesus when he said this to Habakkuk. Just as God would bring light out of darkness through the evil of the Babylonians, so God would bring light out of darkness through the evil of humanity to Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of the principle that God can bring light out of darkness is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? You might feel abandoned today by God because He didn't come through for you in the way that you thought He would or that you hoped He would or or thought He should, but you can know that because Jesus Christ was abandoned on the cross when His Father looked away from Him, Jesus was on the cross and, 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 and... And he says, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? God forsook Jesus on the cross. He abandoned Jesus on the cross so that you would never have to be abandoned. You may feel abandoned, but you aren't abandoned this morning. Because on the cross, Jesus became sin and was abandoned by the Father so that you would never have to be. And because God brought light out of the darkness in Jesus, you can rest assured that whatever pain you're in this morning... If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will bring light out of this present darkness in your life too. You need to expect that. Expect that. It may not happen soon. may not happen even in your lifetime. But you can expect it. So you need to speak the cross to yourself today. I, I talk also often about, you know, preach the gospel to yourself. What I mean is, understand the gospel The cross of Jesus Christ is always the basis for your entire life. The cross changes everything, not just the moment that you trust Christ. Thirty years later, when you're going through something and you're having a a crisis of faith, look to the cross. It is proof that God can bring light out of darkness and that you've never been abandoned by God. Others of you just need to hear the truth this morning. And I just want to say it as clearly as I know how to say it. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was punished for your sins so that you would never have to be punished. And the Bible says, you just saw it, if you believe on Christ, just believe on Christ. Your sins will be forgiven and you will have life eternal. Some of you need to speak the truth of the gospel to yourself. Some of you need to respond to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ today because it's at the cross that you are saved and it's at the cross that you will f- forever find peace no matter what circumstance you go through in this life and even in the next because of what Jesus did there for you. Would you bow your heads with me? or Jesus Christ... Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for what you've done on the cross on our behalf. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the word, the Bible that speaks truth, Lord. Would you put in us a hunger to, 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 to know truth, to seek truth? Would you give us the humility to accept the limitations of human reason? Lord, would you just give us this morning the ability to expect light out of darkness. And, Lord, for those that are here today that have never heard this truth of the cross before, I pray that perhaps today in the privacy of their seat, Lord, I pray that they would come to a place where they would honor you by admitting, humbling themselves, that they're they're a sinner just like the rest of us, and they need a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only name by which they can be saved. To that place today. We love you, we worship your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
0: The cross changes everything, even what we expect of God, how we think of God, how we anticipate God will act or not act. On our behalf, and in the ultimate sense, what we can expect from God is that He'll bring light out of darkness, that He'll bring wholeness out of brokenness, that He'll bring freedom and liberation out of slavery and bondage. So, what would it look like for you this week to expect light out of darkness? Darkness in your situation, in your relationships, in your circumstances. How can the cross inform your reality? Well, thank you again for tuning in to the City Church Evansville podcast. You can find out more about us at citychurchevv.com. And we hope that you'll join us on Sunday morning at 9.15 or 11 a.m. at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville.